0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You probably don't recognize the name of Lewis Tappan. Um, In fact, you may not even know about the historical event that gained him a spot in the history books. If you didn't see the 1997 Steven Spielberg film, The Amistad, and if that just made you feel really old because that film came out in 1997, then, uh, then join, the, join the crowd here. If you've never seen it, and some of you weren't born yet, uh, the film was about a, a historical drama that unfolded uh, surrounding a Spanish ship by the same name in 1839 on the ship were a group of Africans who had been captured and sold illegally in Cuba. The Africans were able to revolt against their captors and take control of the ship. When U.S. authorities found the ship, they seized it, they imprisoned the Africans, and they charged them all with piracy and murder. The imprisonment of those Africans led to a two-year legal battle that ultimately led to the men being freed by the Supreme Court in the 19 or in the 1841 decision, United States versus the Amistad. Once adequate funds had been raised, the surviving members of the Amistad were returned to their home in Africa. The Amistad story is um, it ends very differently if it weren't for the likes of men like Lewis Tappan. You may not realize this, but you actually interact with Mr. Tappan uh, every time you finance a car or get a mortgage on your home because Mr. Tappan was the, was the creator of what would ultimately become our modern credit reporting system. The company he founded actually exists even to this day through the corporation known as Dun & Broad Street. In spite of his success as a businessman, it was Tappan's role as an abolitionist, that has, made him the, that has made the greatest impact in the kingdom of God. As soon as he heard about the men from the Amistad, he formed a committee to begin the work to free them. For almost two years, he labored tirelessly on their behalf. He visited them in prison he actually the first time he visited them and visited them in prison he actually broke out into a sermon about the sovereignty, and the providence of God in spite of the fact that none of the Africans could speak English or understood a word that he said he organized uh, students from Yale Divinity School to continue to minister to these uh, these prisoners during their legal battles he publicized and published information about their fight and even raised money for their defense he hired the very best attorneys that he could find And after they were released by the Supreme Court, he continued working to raise money so that they could send them back to their homes there in Africa. The thing about Tappan, though, is that he wasn't a president. He wasn't a a Supreme Court justice. He wasn't anything like that. Instead, Louis Tappan was just a regular, ordinary Christian businessman with a passion for the plight of slaves. His goal was not praise his goal was not fame he worked on freeing these slaves because he understood that they had dignity and worth and value simply because they were created in the image of God he realized the injustice that surrounded their capture and their uh, their uh, prosecution and so while his work for the kingdom may be lost on all but the most zealous students of history There is no telling the consequences of his work in terms of the church today, 180 years later. And as I was reading about Mr. Tappan, one of the things that occurred to me is that Lewis Tappan is just like the, he's just one of of literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men over the last 2,000 years who have touched the kingdom in some unsung way. A story not getting told very often unless the story's unearthed in studying and researching and reading about history. All that serves as a reminder to us that we need not overlook the ordinary when it comes to impacting the kingdom of God. It it occurred to me as I was thinking back over the last three weeks as we've worked through these songs of Christmas how ordinary the key figures were in each of these stories. You obviously have Mary. We live in a world where certain christian denominations and and certain wings of of christendom want to elevate her into more than what she is mary was remarkably ordinary There was nothing particularly special about her. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't royalty. She wasn't anything like that. She wasn't wealthy. We find in Luke chapter 2 here when they go make their sacrifice, to uh, the purification sacrifice, that they have to offer the pauper's sacrifice. They have to offer the birds instead uh, instead of the larger livestock because that's all they can afford. Mary's not anything particularly significant. If it weren't for God tapping her, To be the birth or to be the mother of jesus mary's name is lost in history We don't know who mary is mary is insignificant inconsequential apart from god's work in her life We talked about zechariah zechariah was a priest, but he wasn't the high priest He wasn't a lead priest his highlighted role He was on call and his name got called to go into the sanctuary to light the incense That was the significance of what he had to do he didn't make any major splash, no major, no major contribution to the story apart from God's selection of him to be the father of John the Baptist. And then last week we talked about the shepherds. Now again, these weren't the, these weren't the lead shepherds of the, of the sheep herding empire. These weren't the CEOs of the shepherding of the sheep business in Bethlehem. These were the third shift shepherds who were out watching over the flocks in the middle of the night. They weren't the movers and shakers in the Bethlehem political arena. These were simply some guys doing a job. So ordinary. Yet in the middle of all of this ordinary stuff, you see God working in extraordinary ways. The last Christmas song recorded for us in Luke's Gospel comes at the end of chapter 2, and it's sung by a man by the name of Simeon. What do we know about Simeon? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And apart from his appearance in Luke chapter 2, he likely never makes a history book. But let's join in Simeon's song this morning as we consider the last Christmas song of the season in Luke chapter 2, beginning there in verse 21. If you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through verse 35. At the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, I thank you for the song of Simeon, a man we don't know much about, but a man who speaks to us even to this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, who exactly is this Simeon? If you're someone who likes to write stories, then Simeon's story is one that is begging to be written. Why is that? Because Luke doesn't tell us anything about him. And you've heard the name Simeon before. Simeon was one of Jacob and Leah's sons. It would become one of the tribes of Israel. At the time of the Exodus, Simeon was the third largest tribe. However, Simeon's ranks would diminish until it ultimately became the smallest tribe. But we're not talking about the same thing here in Luke chapter 2 as we are that Old Testament tribe of Simeon. The Simeon we encounter here in Luke chapter 2 wasn't a priest, wasn't a prophet. You see, Luke tells us when we're dealing with people who have those titles. Simeon wasn't royalty. He wasn't Roman. And so that means that Simeon was a regular guy simply trying to be faithful. Like so many of the countless other men and women throughout history who were regular, ordinary people simply trying to be faithful, going about God's story, doing their work, (laughs) bearing witness without much recognition, without much praise. All we're told about Simeon is this. He was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the peace of Israel. And, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, the fact that he was righteous, well, that may have separated him from a lot of folks in the day in the temple, because there were plenty of devout people, people who were trying to, to live their lives in a way that, that outwardly demonstrated some sort of piety, but there was also a lot of self-righteous folks whose devotion may not have always been to the Lord. But not Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He, was, uh, he listened to the Lord. Prior to Pentecost, he's one of the few individuals that's described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Simeon does. He is set apart in some way. But Simeon makes it into history, not for his accomplishments, but for simply waiting patiently upon the Lord. All that to say that the first thing Simeon's song teaches us is this. Don't underestimate your place in God's story. Don't underestimate your place in God's story. Too many times we hear this voice in our mind, the enemy trying to convince us that we are too inconsequential. We hear the voice that says, "Uh, you don't know enough to share the gospel with somebody. You don't have all the answers to share with your neighbors. You hear the voice that you're not influential enough. You're too low on the totem pole in whatever society you're a part of. You hear the voice that you're not powerful enough Pastors hear the church that my church isn't big enough to do much for the kingdom But Simeon isn't known to us by what his credentials are He's not a priest. He's not a ruler. We don't know anything about Simeon's credentials The only thing we sort of sense is that he's an older man because of, of the words that he uses here but we're not even sure how old he is we don't have a clue all we know is this he's faithful and in the economy of the kingdom of god faithfulness is far more useful than prominence faithfulness is far more useful than prominence all these people that we've considered in this christmas song sermon series They're not people who are tremendously prominent, but they're all faithful. They're all obedient. They all listen to what God has to say. And when you even consider the people that God chose to use beyond the resurrection to carry the church to the ends of the earth, the group of people that God chose were a group of fishermen and social outcasts. They weren't people who were were prominent and powerful. As a matter of fact, the most prominent one of the bunch, the Apostle Paul, god didn't even use the apostle paul in the halls of the academy in jerusalem instead he took the apostle paul and he sent him to the places where he had the least influence into these gentile lands isn't that most interesting if you look around your life today you'll see that god has placed you in a position of influence may not be a huge position you may not be a supervisor at your work or an administrator at your school but each and every single day, we are in a position of influence. And your influence may be in a room full of second graders. Your influence may be with a crew of grandchildren who adore you. Your influence may be with the handful of people in your office or in your work group. Or God help us in COVID world, it may be the people who you're on a Zoom call with <laughs> on a regular basis. But here's the thing. God is not looking for you to conquer the world. He is looking for you to steward your influence, whatever that may be. Think back to Simeon. What did God promise Simeon? What a precious promise he received. Because Simeon had been patiently waiting. Again, that's all we know about him. He's waiting. Waiting on God, waiting on God's promises, praying that he would see the Messiah, and God answered his prayer told him that he would not see death before he saw the Christ. There have been many who've been waiting for Jesus, waiting for the Messiah, that did not receive that promise. However, that day, as, as Simeon was in the temple, he was worshiping, he was waiting upon the Lord. Mary and Joseph entered into the temple with a newborn who was just over a month old, probably about 40 days or so from when he was born. And as they entered, Simeon was given word, that's the Christ. That's the Christ. He was in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to him, said that's the Christ. So Simeon goes to the family, and he takes Jesus in his arms. First of all, imagine how this plays out today. You imagine showing up in church with your newborn, you've kept them home for six weeks, and you finally, I mean, mamas today are, are careful with those babies, right? Like, you don't get to touch the baby unless I invite you to touch the baby, right? Especially in COVID world. Like baby comes in in the car seat and and we learned with with children with with babies that if you leave them in the car seat That uh, that you don't have the problem of people wanting to come up and 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 finagle with them, right? And so Here's what happens. Mary and Joseph come in. They're holding Jesus. They didn't have a car seat. They didn't have a camel seat either And Simeon We don't know anything about him other than he's an old fellow in the temple He comes up and he takes Jesus from Mary all you mamas are just, you're cringing at this moment. Like, who's this old dude that just took our baby, right? Thank goodness they're born into a different time, and so this was a little less socially awkward. But there's Simeon, and he looks into the face of this newborn Savior, and then he sings our next Christmas song. You see, Simeon's song here gives us three very important things to consider. And the first thing is this, finding Jesus was the greatest gift Simeon had ever been given. Finding Jesus was the greatest gift Simeon had ever been given. You see, notice that Simeon's first reaction is not to talk to Mary and Joseph, right? I mean, that's what we do. You cute baby. Oh, he's so cute. He's so precious. You know, we dote on the baby and the parents soak it in because, hey, we made that, right? But this is not what happens. Simeon's first reaction is not, hey Mary, good job. Simeon's first reaction is, dear God. Simeon's first reaction is is not to praise Mary and Joseph, but to worship the Almighty. The actual word Simeon that's used here is that Simeon blessed... God, Literally, the word there means to give a good word. And so Simeon sees the fulfillment of God's promise to him, and his immediate reaction is to express good words to God. How can you have any other response when you meet the Savior? This is the greatest thing that could have happened to Simeon. We don't have any kind of resume on Simeon. But at this moment, when he meets Jesus, he is prepared to lay down his life. At this moment, Simeon, as far as he was considered, Simeon had, had seen that God had given himself to be faithful, and all of Simeon's hopes were fulfilled in that moment when he saw the Christ child. There was nothing greater for him to gain than to gain Christ. I love how the apostle Paul comes to a similar conclusion over in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, Paul explains that he's got reasons to have confidence in the flesh. He had uh, the academy, he had the the pedigree, he had all the things to make him confident in his resume, confident in his flesh, confident in all of his accomplishments prior to meeting Jesus. But listen to what he says, once he completes his spiritual and educational and, and job resume. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he said something very important. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You know, as we approach Christmas, I can't believe it's next week. I mean, it's just around the corner. As we approach Christmas, this really must be what our goal is. Not that the tree is full of presents, not that the house is decorated, not that the groceries have been acquired, not any of those things. As we approach Christmas, our goal truly must be this, that we would see Jesus, that we would know the Savior, that we would be able to make him known to the nations, that we might press on towards the prize. What is the prize? Paul says the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Simeon said, looking at baby Jesus. Now your servant can depart in peace. Our prize is the completion of our race, the satisfaction of our journey. Our prize is seeing Jesus. I know we talk about this at funerals, but I think it's important that we keep this in mind at times other than when we're grieving and dealing with death paul understood that to live is christ but to die as gain and now having met the savior simeon was content to depart in peace you see it wasn't something to fear anymore for simeon because he understood here that in christ death had lost its sting the first line of Simeon's song is this simple acknowledgement that God has kept his word, and now Simeon could depart in peace. All along, God had said, you won't die until you see Christ. Now Simeon has seen Christ, and now Simeon says, I'm, I'm content, I'm happy, I'm, I'm satisfied, I can depart in peace. Simeon's life had been characterized by waiting on the Lord to keep his word. And now he'd done it. This child that Simeon held was named Jesus because that's what God said he should be named. Jesus means the Lord of salvation. Simeon held in his arms that which he had hoped for, and that was the deliverance of his people. For Simeon, he was now content to die in peace because the terror of death was defeated by the baby that he held in his arms. Simeon understood that this Savior was not going to be some great political ruler that many people believed that he needed to be. But when he finishes his song, he speaks directly to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will will pierce through your own soul. You know, Simeon understood this. He understood that Jesus was not coming to be a conquering ruler, some great and and awesome earthly king. Simeon understood that this baby that he held, this Savior that he held in his arms there, that this Savior was one who was going to suffer much in the work of redeeming his people. He even understood that Mary is this mother, that her very soul would be pierced. You know, I think back to Jesus on the cross and all those who were looking at Jesus on the cross in that moment when Mary, I can't imagine Mary in that moment as Jesus is nailed to the cross, seeing her child, not her only child, she would have other children, but to see her oldest child nailed to a cross, bleeding in agony and pain, And Jesus, looking there at his mother, hands off the care of his mother to the Apostle John. you imagine what that must be like in that moment? The the, the pain of seeing that transpire, of, of watching Jesus in that moment of misery hand off the care of his mother to his dear friend. Mary's soul would indeed be pierced, and Simeon was given the means to to see that and to understand it, it must be that the Holy Spirit had given Simeon some insight that others did not yet have into those prophetic writings about Jesus, pointing to Jesus as the suffering servant, pointing to Jesus' death as a substitution for us. The third thing we need to understand, in Simeon we see this, God provided a savior, but salvation is not automatic Nor is salvation universal. Notice the last part of Simeon's song. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The Savior was to be a light. Now, a light, a light's helpful, right? If you ever. You ever got up in the middle of the night and, and, you know, you don't need much light in the middle of the night. You just need a little bit of light, but a little bit of light goes a really long way in helping you get, a, get around in the dark. But one thing I've noticed about light, light doesn't force people to do anything. Light is an invitation, but light is not a force. Light doesn't make people do things. If I see a light, I can choose to ignore it or I can choose to follow the light. If you don't believe me, try this out down here at, uh, hey, go down here at a Happy Valley Road and you can test this out every day. There's a light there, it's in different colors, red, yellow, green, and you can test this, right? When that light turns red, your car is not automatically forced to stop. You're, you can choose to engage with that light in any way that you want to. There are consequences for how you choose to engage in that, with that light. But that light's not a tractor beam that's drawing your car forward or making your car stop. You see the light and you have to respond to the light in the way that you believe to be in your best interest. Now, hopefully, when it's red, you put on the brakes, and when it's green, you step on the gas, and when it's yellow, you step on the gas a little bit harder. (laughs) But that light is not forcing you to do anything. You're still left with a choice. And if the blue lights that come after you because you chose wrongly with that light, you don't have to respond to those either. (laughs) Again, it's your choice at that point. I would strongly suggest you comply, however. You see, in Christ, God is giving people a choice to make. He's giving them a a decision to make. Light has come into the world, but there is a decision that has to be made. You have to deal with the lights. In whatever way is right many according to Simeon would make the wrong choice we know as we read the Gospels there are those who reject the message there are those who reject the light and sadly we even see in our own day and time there are plenty of people in our lives maybe even people in our families who we've shown the light to them but they still chose to disregard to not pay attention to it. In our own lives, there continues to be people who reject the message. Earlier, I was talking about Louis Tappan. One of the things about Mr. Tappan is that when he sent the men, when he raised the money to send those slaves back to Africa, one of the things that Mr. Tappan did is he made sure that on the ship that took those slaves back to Africa, that there were Christian missionaries who accompanied them on the journey. So that when those slaves were dropped off there in Africa, those Christian missionaries were able to say, these men are free because there's people who love Jesus who ensured that these men were set free. Guess what? There were many who received the message. There are churches in Africa today that I know are a direct descendant from the work that was done by Mr. Tappan and those abolitionists who freed the men from uh, from the ship there. But it was Mr. Tappan's commitment to the gospel, to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, led to the freedom of those slaves. Our job as Jesus followers is to show people the light so that they can then choose how to respond. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they place it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All we can do today is to shine the light of the gospel into the dark corners of our world. And all we can do is make sure that people know the source of the light. John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, the true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. It's not our light. We remember the old analogy. We teach children about this in in Sunday school and kids church. The moon is one of those great examples. We've got a full moon right now. The moon doesn't have its own light. The moon is purely a reflection of the light that is shined upon it. Ancient people looked at the moon and thought that the moon was some sort of, some sort of heavenly God, some sort of, some sort of thing in the sky to be worshipped. But as we've learned, we've learned that all the moon does is it reflects a greater glory of something that shined on it. And that's so true for each of us. We're, we don't possess our own light. The light that we have is light that's reflected from the goodness of God. It's light that's reflected because we know the source of that light. And Simeon here He's a reminder of some simple truths that we need to hold fast to. He's a simple reminder of the fact that that no one is too much of a nobody to be part of God's plan of redemption. I don't care who you are, what your role in our culture is, what your role in our civilization is, nobody is too much of a nobody to be part of God's plan of redemption every single one of us regardless of where we live what we do what our work is every single one of us is part of an influence circle we influence people people are watching us and from the greatest to the least god wants us to be part of the story just like Simeon we don't know anything about Simeon the other side of this is that Simeon could have been great and powerful and a mighty leader and Luke just leaves us in the dark about that but the point is is that it's not about Simeon it's the story that Simeon has to tell. In order to be faithful to the plan, or to be useful to the plan, however, we have to be faithful to Christ's commands. That's what counts. It's not how smart you are. It's not how long your resume is. It's how faithful are you to Jesus' commands. And if you're faithful to Jesus' commands, don't be shocked to see God putting you to work in his kingdom. We also need to recognize what a treasure it is to know Jesus. You think about the Christmas season. If you're a Christian today, reflect on what a treasure it is to know who Jesus is. I mean, I think we sometimes forget just how incredible that that truth is, how incredible that reality is. If you are a Christian today, Jesus lives in your heart through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. If you know Jesus, you have a particularly special treasure in your life, right? I mean, what a treasure. You think of the things that are important to you, I mean, if, if you left here and you got home and your home was no longer there, you, you would think about the tragedy of the fact that your home was gone, but, but the things that are in the home are the things that would be particularly devastating. The, the pictures that aren't there or the, uh, you know, the, that heirloom that was passed down, that that's something that your parents or your grandparents had that was no longer there. You would think about all the treasures that you have that would that, that, be a tragedy to lose it. And what we understand about knowing Jesus is that there's an even greater treasure that we have, and that is knowing Jesus. And that's a treasure that can never, ever, ever be taken away. If you truly know Jesus, it's a treasure that you never, ever can lose. Simeon realizes he held his Savior. What a treasure he possessed. Simeon reminds us that we need to understand Jesus has conquered all of our enemies including our greatest enemy death and we need to understand That God has granted us a savior But that he uses us as human instruments to convey The light of that savior to humanity Have you considered what a treasure it is to know Jesus? But it's not a treasure that we keep In fact, it's a treasure that's amplified, the more that we give it away. That's something. And so this Christmas, make it a priority in your Christmas celebration to make sure that you tell somebody in your circle of influence just how precious the gift of the Savior is. Maybe it's that family member that's going to be at your house, or you're going to be at their house, or you're going to meet together in a common place. And you know that family member is not a Christian. What if this Christmas season you just begin even praying today about how you're going to shine the light of Christ into that person's life, that they can see Jesus for who he truly is. And though you can't hold the Christ child in your arms like Simeon did, you can still declare the truth of Christ to as many who will listen. And isn't that the message of our Christmas songs after all? The shepherds heard the angels' song, and what they do? They told all of Bethlehem. People marveled at it. Simeon held Jesus in his arms, and he sang a Christmas song, and Mary and Joseph marveled at what he sang. That's what our Christmas songs do. They point us to Jesus. They point others to Jesus. Let's finish the story and make sure that they know who the Savior truly is. More than just the baby born in Bethlehem on the day we set aside and call Christmas, but the baby born, that he might bear the sins of many and give eternal life to all who would choose to follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for Simeon's song. Thank you for the precious good news of the gospel that Simeon was had insight into because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as we as we gather in coming days to celebrate the birth of Jesus, that we would recognize what a great gift we have been given. And that we would understand that that gift is only magnified as we share it with others. Lord, I thank you that in Christ, uh, the tragedy of death is conquered. That for those who are in Christ, that, that there is a sense that, that when this journey's finished, that we're brought into the presence of Jesus. All that we'd hoped for, all that we'd worked for, all that we'd believed by faith becomes sight. And it's such a precious, precious treasure. So God, I thank you for Simeon, for what, for all intents and purposes, God appears to us to be not much of somebody, but he was faithful, and you used him to be a blessing. So God, as a church full of people that we just acknowledge, we're, we're, not, we're not much, but with what we are, God, I pray that we'd be faithful, and that you would use us to be part of your story, of reaching the nations for Christ. And help us not just to worry about the nations, but to worry about our neighbors, our family members, our loved ones today. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.